It's the herb at the end of the world. It's the herb at the end of the world. It's the time I took some time to heal. It's the time I took some time to heal. It's the time I took some time to heal. And I feel Hey everybody, Samwise here. I am really excited to bring you this episode about Vitex and that features a dear friend of mine, Bonnie Rose Weaver, who was one of my first herb teachers ever, which um, was such a blessing in my life. They um, grew medicinal plants in San Francisco in a space called 1894 Medicine Gardens, and they led a introduction to herbalism internship that I did. And I was just so excited to meet an herbalist who knew about herbs and that was also political AF and like punk AF. So um, (laughs) that's my friendship with Bonnie Rose Weaver began. And um, it was really the jumping off point for me for my like formal herbal education. After that, I went to ancestral apothecary in Oakland and then the California school after that. And um, Bonnie Rose and I have been friends and organizing together um, to support our communities um, through the pandemic. And um, yeah, they're just, they're just a dear one to me. And I'm really excited to let y'all hang out with us through this episode. Um, We get into some really great topics around tracking hormonal cycles for folks that bleed. And BR really generously shares an exercise in this episode where um, they teach how, like kind of what quote unquote normal, you know, whatever that is, um, like hormonal cycles can happen for some like folks in a statistically broad way, you know? and if you want to learn along with us, we invite you to get a piece of paper and um, something to draw with or write with um, if you want to do that in this episode, because turns out it's really, really useful to learn about different cycles, because as we talk about in the episode, people who bleed and may be um, susceptible to pregnancy um, are not as susceptible to pregnancy at different points in their cycle. So um, contrary to what Mean Girls, the film has taught us, um, which we'll talk about. So um, if you want to see an image of the the drawing that BR um, did, um, I might draw a new one, but I think the one they did is great. <laughs> Um, I'm going to upload that to my Patreon, which you can find by searching for your Patreon and then Sam Wise, Rarid, and Community Herbalist. Um, and you'll be able to check that out there uh, without all my, like, um, you know, the writing for the episode promo stuff on it. Um, and while you're there, I invite you to check out the Patreon. Um, and I invite you to support me on Patreon. Um, that's where I get a lot of support for this podcast, and it really makes all the work that I do from the podcast to the videos I produce to the ancestral healing classes and the, um, the discord space that's supporting these learnings, like all of that is really, um, at its, at its foundation supported by the Patreon. So if you 
dig the podcast and you want to help it keep going, I really invite you to sign up at whatever level you can. Um, so yeah, that being said, we're going to get into it. Um, just one quick note that I just learned about just now, as we get into talking about hormones and cycles and progesterone and, and estrogen and all the things. Um, I talk a little bit about, um, being on hormonal birth control for 10 years in this episode. Um, I forgot the name of the, of the pill, but as I was running today, I remembered it like popped in my brain. I was like, oh, ortho tricycline low was what I was on for 10 years. And, um, just interesting to note, I looked it up and like looked up the components of what's in it. And it looks like there's a, it's, it's a progesterone dominant, um, uh, pharmaceutical, which we'll talk about why that's important in the episode. Um, but ultimately it's just something that I learned from doing this episode and, and tracking these cycles that, um, part of, what's happening in my body is that I'm progesterone dominant, which means I don't like bleed enough. And I like have some mood stuff related to that. So I'm like, Oh wow. Like maybe being on this progesterone dominant pharmaceutical for 10 years had something to do with that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I invite you to sit back, you know, take notes or, um, draw along with us. And if you have questions, um, I really invite you to reach out to Bonnie Rose um, for for support about how this, what this could mean, what you notice in your own cycles. So I hope you enjoy it. And thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of Herb at the End of the World. I am your host, Sam Wise Reardon, and I am so pleased and honored to welcome my dear friend, my first herb teacher, and someone who inspires me greatly in the world, Bonnie Rose Weaver, who is a clinical herbalist, teacher, artist, and urban gardener living in occupied Ramatush Ohlone land, colonially known as San Francisco. Welcome, Bonnie Rose. <laughs> I said your name Sam. really weird. Sorry. <laughs> I'm so honored to be at Ur on Herb at the end of the world because I'm such a fan. Oh, that's I'm blushing. You can't <laughs> see, but I'm blushing. And thank you for coming back. You've been on the show before, but we haven't like had time to really like dig into like your story and like really give like your presence the breath that it deserves. So thank you so much for saying yes to being on again. Cool. My pleasure. Yeah. Great. Well, um, folks may be able to hear we are friends and I love VR and I'm just so excited to get to hang out with them and um share this time with folks who listen to the podcast. And um there are many things that I love and respect about Bonnie Rose. Um, but first I'd love to see if you'd like to introduce yourself. Um, what are some of your lineages and kind of how did you find your way to the plants? Great. Um, let's see. My people come from modern day Ireland, Croatia, and Italy. And my ancestors immigrated about 100 years ago to Turtle Island by way of um, Wisconsin and New York. And then my 
parents both uh, partially grew up in Southern California and they met here in, in San Francisco. And so um, I've been living in SF most of my life. And I have to say that my upbringing really had not a lot of plant medicine consciousness. I think about how frustrated I would get as a young person in the doctor's office and at UCSF no less, where they would have student doctors come in and kind of poke at you and ask questions. And so that was really traumatizing for me. And I was lucky to go to Evergreen up in Olympia, Washington when I was 18 for school and being in that community in the Northwest and having plant medicine be pretty common and kind of integrated into the culture of wellness and just good connection with the earth, people main, maintaining gardens and walking through the forest and IDing plants was really cool. I had a lot of experience with camping in the Sierras as a kid, but the plants were just kind of like all one thing, all green. <laughs> and so I got to learn about plant medicine there. And I first started learning from books and was guided to an herb shop to learn more about taking care of myself with herbs for asthma. And that was really the first thing that inspired a deeper sense of curiosity. And 12 years later, here I am. Um, you know, there's been many steps along the way, but I think after my success with making a tea for my lungs, um, I got this feeling or that I had this experience that I really wanted to share with more people and especially people in urban places and in the urban place that I'm from. And so that's kind of been the guiding light of my, the past decade. And yeah, I'm, I'm doing that still or now, I guess, um, more than ever as a full-time health teacher uh, in the school district here. So yeah, that's like my ancestors to the present moment in a nutshell. Thank you. That was so beautifully concise. <laughs> and yeah, my Irish ancestors are high-fiving your Irish ancestors um, over the departure of the queen, you know, whatever, whatever <laughs> monarchs, but <laughs> Irish ancestor high-five. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Um, and yeah, I'm so excited to hear that you're doing this teaching work and getting to reach a lot of students and empowering them with like wisdom and knowledge about our health and our how human bodies can be supported by plants. Um, that's that's really awesome that you're doing some of that in that venue. Um, really inspiring. And I know you as a first as a teacher and then as a friend, and you've been teaching a long time. And part of what I was in, really inspired to hear about was your teaching work with around like fertility cycles. So I'd be curious if you um, 
since one of the plants that we're celebrating um, on this podcast um, is Vitex, which is a great um, menstrual cycle regulator and hormonal regulator, plus like other things. <laughs> um, I, um, yeah, I wanted to ask you about your experience with learning about um, like tracking cycles, um, like hormonal cycles and kind of how you got into that and um, how you got into teaching about that. Well, when I was up in Olympia, I was part of a pretty strong community of like anarchists and radicals um, with different kind of interests and, you know, a variety of ways that people were embodying those values. And there was a bunch of zines going around. That's probably the first time I ever heard the words um, like herbal abortion and really um, kind of became aware that people for millennia have had control over their fertility. I think um, I find it funny that I teach high school health because I somehow missed it. I didn't, I, I never received a true sex ed. And so maybe if I had, I would have known that there was a time in a person, a bleeding person cycle that they get, you know, for fertile and then other points of which they're not. But I, I actually remember in high school telling my friend, like, I just realized that it doesn't like, I think back to that scene in Mean Girls where they're like, if you have sex, you will get pregnant. Cause I, I actually thought that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you will die. <laughs> Everybody takes some rubber. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I remember going into the bathroom with like, my friend and thinking like, oh, I just realized that there is a possibility that you could like have like an AFAB could have sex with somebody who has sperm and like, like you wouldn't get pregnant. And I think <laughs> I slowly just started to pick up those pieces on my own. And then reading these zines about herbal abortion and recognizing that, again, it's not just like a, if you have sex, you will get pregnant, but that there's this whole constellation of your physiology um, within the repro system and the endocrine system primarily that we can kind of um, not manipulate, but like have an awareness around and support um, whether or not we want to be fertile. And uh, the, the wheel, which I'll get into in a bit, um, just understanding, yeah, understanding like the, the kind of flow of when fertility happens, when we're estrogen dominant, when we're progesterone dominant. I did have some friends that got pregnant. We didn't do any herbal abortions because they're pretty complex. Um, but yeah, just being aware that that's a thing that has existed for a long time. I remember reading about like how fertility often in communities that were migratory and like seasonal based, right? Cause we all come from, from communities and cultures that lived off of the earth. And of course were influenced by the seasons um, that, that fertility just, 
you know, ebbed and flowed with that. And like, boom, that's something I had never thought about because, you know, being an urban person living in a city, you just, you almost don't realize it. Like the students that I work with now, I might mention, oh yeah, we're in this season. And there's kind of this like vague nod confusion about, you know, what is a season? Like what is Equinox? (laughs) Why does it matter? Um, And I think becoming more and more connected to the plants, you know, that's become just such a big part of my life that it's hard to, to remember that um, feeling, but yeah, that a lot of, a lot of communities, you know, just a few hundred years ago, wouldn't have enough food to be fertile at certain times of the year. And so, and that there were foods that might be eaten intentionally to reduce fertility Mm. herbs that might be in season or that you, yeah. So uh, I think just getting that awareness. Yeah. Like, like the non mean girls understanding of fertility. Like just like I became aware of that, and that's when I decided to to really start learning about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Mean Girls is not a seminal teaching text necessarily for our time. (laughs) I love what you're you're pointing to around. There's like there's the cycles of our fertility, like in our own bodies, and then there's these also collective cycles in our cultures that you know, of greater and lesser fertility or greater, you know, changes in our hormones that can affect us on kind of like a community wide level, um, between the seasons. That's, that's something I haven't really thought about before. Um, and like the food affecting fertility, my brain is like, Oh, I wonder if it, you know, and one thing is that might affect that is like fats, like access to lipids so that you can make sexy time hormones or whatever, but I don't really know how, how that would work, but I'm excited to, to learn more. So I think there's probably a lot of, a lot of ways that the plants were in. Yeah. Like I think that yes. And yeah. <laughs> um, the, one of the first herbs I learned about, and it's funny because I really haven't seen m- much reference to this. It's like I, a library book I found right at the beginning of my studies. And I'm, I want to maybe try to find the book or just do more research on it. But the herb epasote mm-hmm. that's used a lot in cooking beans in Central and South America is the first plant that doctors and pharmacists used to develop hormonal birth control. Huh. And so, like I said, I haven't seen much reference to this, like, in the past decade, but I remember when I was first studying herbs, I came across that. And this is a complete conjecture on my part. So don't take it as truth, but I wonder, you know, if, if that is a hormone regulator of some sort, and it's just this kind of like commonly used herb for everyday food, right? It's like, added to beans to reduce gas as well as add flavor mm, like mm-hmm. okay cool there's just this you know fertility management in the food <laughs> <laughs> so, so then cool. maybe this season when 
people were eating less beans or there was just other food available because beans have a great ability to be stored. Um, you know, maybe in the spring, maybe like the last crop is out and the new crop is just growing. So maybe there's like this fertility window or something, you know, like this is just a, a conjecture, but I just think about stuff like that where I'm like, huh, okay. Like people, people knew what they were doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a lot of people had the wisdom and at some point, like so much of herbal medicine, we forgot it. And I think that endocrine system stuff is just that much more complicated. I was telling my students the other day, we were learning about kind of like the history of medicine and this YouTube video says that this like really old Greek guy in like 250 BCE discovered the nervous system. And it's like, no <laughs> shit, you discovered the nervous system. It's mostly the brain. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the endocrine system wasn't discovered until the 1950s. Mm. And they're both systems in our bodies that send chemical messages and they influence each other. And they have all these incredible, you know, impacts like immediately for the nervous system, but then like over the next like weeks and months for the endocrine system. And they were discovered like literally 2000 years apart from each other. Great, <laughs> <laughs> right, totally. So it tells us how much we really know. Mm -hmm, People didn't mm -hmm. know how existed, you know, a hundred years ago. Right. Or about viruses really until like, I think the forties, thirties or forties. Yeah. Yeah. And I say that and like, and I, we know from what I have said previously that they did, they just like people maybe didn't have like those words for it, but people knew how to regulate their bodies in this mm -hmm. like very deep wisdom way. Totally. Yeah. And now we have like names for hormones, which are like these chemical indicators that we can identify like progesterone, estrogen, um, the other ones that I'm forgetting. <laughs> um, and we can kind of watch those. What's up? Those are the main ones. The main those ones. Are the ones we're gonna talk about, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and yeah, how subtly like plants can work with the production or like downregulation of these hormones. Um, so yeah, now might be a good time to um, to bust out the the circle of learning, <laughs> which is a a tool that um, VR is gonna walk us through. Um, Thank you so much for doing this and sharing a little of what you've learned because um, it's it's so helpful to learn about like what are the cycles for like people who bleed like what what are the kind of big hormonal players that we know about right now um, and how can we like support our bodies in being regulated if they're dysregulated or help them come into balance if they're out of balance all that good stuff so um, yeah thanks VR for walking us through how to kind of visualize that <laughs> my pleasure yeah and if people want to follow along if thinking about your hormones or uh hormones in general is something that you want to get better at and you haven't done before feel free to pause the audio and grab a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil um also I want to give the caveat that what I'm about to share is like a pretty raw version of it. There's more detail that I don't really want to get into because uh, if you've never done this before, just getting the basics is fine. 
And then if, again, if you want to get more into it, uh, the book tracking your fertility uh, is a good one. And I'm sure there's lots of blogs online that will walk you through like the hormones and yeah, I'm just going to mostly talk about estrogen and progesterone. And there are other hormones in a body that bleeds. Uh, but those are just the, the two that we're going to talk about today. So yeah, caveat that this isn't like the most thorough, complete version of this. <laughs> um, yeah, so go ahead and on your piece of paper, draw a circle. And I would try, try to draw at least like three to four inches in diameter. I think mine's like maybe five inches wide. And we're going to think about this kind of like the face of a clock. So if you want to write like the 12, three, six, and nine on it, that can be a nice guiding point. You can draw a line from the 12 down to the six, and then again, across from nine to three. And you can get more fancy with it. We'll just leave it pretty simple for right now. Maybe we'll add a little bit more, but 12 o'clock you think of as day one. So you can write day one up at the top there next to your 12. And that's referring to that line that comes down from the top. Um, and like a clock, the cycle is gonna move in the clockwise motion. So day one is the first day that we bleed. And everybody's cycle is different. You might have a three-day cycle. You might have a seven-day cycle. It kind of doesn't matter. Um, but if you know how many days you bleed, you could go ahead and you could draw little pizza slices and kind of color them in with between the 12 and three. And I like to, you know, you could get real fancy. You could bring in your color pencils. You could draw your little red stuff in there. Um, so that's bleeding time. And then right around the three is when I think about fertility starting. And six is generally considered to be for like um, ovulation. So there's some math that you, you have to do a little bit. Um, and this is a really rough sketch, but uh, if you track your cycle, either like on a, calendar or on a period app, you can start to gather information. So one big piece of information that you want to get is when does the vaginal discharge start to shift? That's a huge indicator. And you're going to see it basically become um, really goopy. So you can write like goopy down here by ovulation. When does that happen? Like what day? 
I notice around day eight. So, you know, a couple of days after I finished bleeding, that would be in the quadrant between three and six, maybe the, the very first slice of pizza there after three, I get super horny. <laughs> I'm like, I am ready to go. <laughs> um, and I notice a big shift in not just the vaginal discharge, but also kind of like my energy and in particular, what I want to wear, like how I want to be seen in the world, how I want people to interact with me and how I want to interact with other people. And so for me, that's always been a big sign of kind of what happens after bleeding is you become estrogen dominant. And so that's lasting from maybe a little bit above the three to a little bit past the six. So somewhere between six and nine, your estrogen pretty much falls off and is replaced by progesterone. So somewhere in between six and nine, again, it's a rough sketch. You could draw a line maybe halfway and you can write progesterone. And on the other side, between three and six, you can write estrogen. And maybe you want to get a color and you want to color in estrogen one color and progesterone another color. So estrogen really falls kind of uh, between, it covers the six with a slight uh, preference or um, with a slight kind of ex extra on the, towards the three. So like a little bit past three or right around three to a little bit past six, and then it will shift to progesterone all the way up until the 12. Is that clear? Totally. And yeah, for me, when, when that shift happens, like when I'm shifting from estrogen dominant, that's like, I'm going to wear my cute crop top and like be super cute. And when I, like, after I ovulate and progesterone kicks in, I'm just like, everything is terrible. This is so hard. Why is life? <laughs> and it's just for me, yeah. I, I really like, I mark that, um, that shifts a lot in my like mood and like my general affect, which is interesting. So are you able to actually mark it down? Like, are you able to know, like around this day, I'm going to start feeling this way. Sometimes when I'm on tracking, I fell off tracking because I was using an app. And then when like Roe v. Wade got overturned, people got really like afraid of the apps. And I was just like, I don't know. It's been like asking me for money anyway. So I'm just going to like delete it. <laughs> so I need to get back into tracking it, like either on a paper calendar or like another way. I'd love to hear from you, like what you use to track. Um, but yeah, when I'm on it, I can usually predict in part because there were some years where I took a lot of ITEX and like got really regular in my cycle. So for folks who are not really regular and kind of things kind of bounce around a lot, um, using this plant is really helpful as a tincture or it actually makes like a delicious oxanol, which you wouldn't think it does, but it do. <laughs> it can help people kind of get more on like a regular rhythm um, so that some tracking some of these things can become a little bit more predictable. So yeah, totally. We'll get more into like what to do if your cycle doesn't look like this. I want to finish 
this diagram a little bit and yeah with the total like clarity that like not everybody's cycle looks like this and that's also okay I know for me after I got my I think it's after I got my um COVID vaccine my cycle has not been as predictable yeah um, heard that from and it had been, yeah it had been for a long time so I can't say that myself that I really know how to track my cycle or my, my cycle is not trackable at the moment. Um, but it was for many years. And the reason that I, I asked about like, are you, or do you know, right? Like I know pretty, pretty regularly that like day eight is like, I would like to schedule a very hot date for day eight. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, knowing when, you, like you said, you, you're starting to shift from estrogen to progesterone is also really helpful because it can help, you know, like how many meetings can you schedule? Like what kind of work are you going to be up to doing? Right. Is it more of a like paperwork day versus like a Hollywood day? Um, and we haven't touched on it yet, but the, the energy of estrogen, I really like to think about in an embody with that, like I want to have fun. I want to feel pleasure. I want to enjoy, indulge. And that is the energy around fertility that we kind of need that playfulness to get us into that zone. And, you know, biologically, you know, this idea of, of procreating is in there somewhere. Um, then you have progesterone where it, Progesterone is the hormone that you quote unquote ride when you're pregnant. And so when you have that shift around day 20, you start to have a more protective energy and technically you're not fertile. I say technically because there have been people who have gotten pregnant in the progesteronic phase and you just can't say blanketly like to everyone on a podcast, like this is what happens. And trust me, I know your body better than you because I never met you. <laughs> and the person that knows your body best is you. So, you know, keeping in mind, the more we track, the more information we have um, from one cycle to the next, we can start to understand what our bodies are doing. And if you're noticing that your vaginal discharge is changing into that really gooey, goopy, sticky stuff, where if you put it between your fingers and it can stretch out for a couple inches, that's the type of discharge that's going to allow, you know, a sperm to move through it versus around day 20, when you start to shift to progesterone, it will kind of dry up and it's a little bit more like rubber cement. And so noticing that and noticing your mood and your energy and maybe what you want to do, I think of progesterone as, a. some people call it like a dragon, like it's like this protective hmm. energy. And I always think of myself as like, I don't want to go out at night. I want to stay home, journal, do art probably cry, um, maybe talk to a friend and it kind of gets worse. Like, um, you know, during your progesteronic time is generally when people start to get PMS, if you get PMS symptoms, 
people have all sorts of different PMS symptoms. Oftentimes, if I meet with a client, I say, do you ever get PMS? And they say, oh yeah, I get that. And I say, well, what, what, what do you get? And they're like, oh, you know, just like regular PMS. Well, PMS could be as different as, you know, the weather. It's like some people get cramps in their legs. Some people get cramps in their uterus. Some people don't get cramps. Some people get breast tenderness. Some people get moody. Some people get angry. Like there's all these different ways that it can present itself in our bodies. And so that time, like 10 to seven days before you bleed is really a time to nurture yourself. I think also in the dominant culture, we forget to do that before we bleed. And I think it results in periods being harder. And I think once people are bleeding, they're like, oh, I need to take care of myself. I need to rest. I need to, you know, pamper myself. And really, if you can get to a place where you can do that before taking nutritive teas, like nettles, raspberry leaf in an overnight infusion, or just getting more rest, allowing yourself that time to have the out breath, you know, not not maxing your calendar out and taking time to reflect is really helpful. I also have an indicator um, right before I bleed. I, I almost always cry about something that's just totally not worth crying about. And I love crying. I love me a good cry <laughs> and I highly encourage it, but like missing the bus is not worth crying about. <laughs> Sometimes so- it is, but yes. <laughs> Well, it's just an indicator to me that like, I'm really high on progesterone. I'm about to bleed and to just like give myself that extra space. I'm like, maybe I just didn't need to go to that appointment or whatever. Um, or, you know, if I really have my stuff together, just not even scheduling it at that time. And this can be tricky, right? Like I said, myself right now, it's not, my cycle isn't super predictable. I've had really long cycles. I've had shorter cycles. And when your cycle isn't a regular, you know, 27 to 32 days, it's hard to do this tracking at all. And I still think that tracking can help us start to see patterns A big thing that I will ask my clients is to try to notice those two energies that I talked about, the like sexy, cool energy and the stay at home energy, because sometimes people have longer versions of one and starting to see when they come in can be really helpful for understanding if we are progesterone dominant or estrogen dominant. And that is something that I will say is pretty common is if you don't have a regular cycle, you tend to have a longer one of either. And so once we figure that out, we can kind of try to navigate how to make the other one longer. (laughs) Totally. And that's kind of how I approach fertility tracking. So I hope that's helpful. And if people have questions, feel free to reach out. Oh yeah. Because I'm sure I do. (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna put your contact on the show notes people gonna <laughs> direct all your questions to. Sure, yeah I'm sure it wasn't perfect but I did my best y'all no thank you I think actually that's that's really helpful and every time you explain that I learn something new um I'd love to ask a clarifying question about the second half of the cycle where your one is yeah. potentially uh, progesterone dominant so I got from like mm-hmm. six to nine o'clock like that's when progesterone kind of 
kicks more in are like a little bit after six o'clock. Yeah. Does progesterone kind of increase? Like, does it does it build up more over that the last part of the cycle, or does it decrease? Kind of like estrogen has like more in the beginning and then decreases. Or how do you how do you kind of increase it? It increases. So there's more progesterone yeah, as you are going to bleed than when yeah. that shift from estrogen to progesterone. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and there's another kind of graph that people can look up. Um, which is um, a line graph. So if you think like geometry, like X, Y, and then you you can see like the way that the hormones build over time. So estrogen builds and then it kind of starts to sloop down after six and then it'll come back up when it starts, when you start bleeding. And then progesterone is like low, 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 low. And when estrogen starts dipping, progesterone peaks. And so they're kind of this like syncopated mm. rhythm. Mm-hmm. And there, like I said, there's other hormones in there. I know you all can't see this, but I'm drawing it for Sam. Yeah. So what I'm looking at is like kind of one, the estrogen peak, estrogen peaks, and then a little bit, some days after that, the progesterone peaks. Cool. Maybe we can take a picture of these and we'll put them, (laughs) we'll make some art out of them for the, for the episode art. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So I know like, you know, we can't make blatant statements about like when folks are not fertile on a podcast with like, who knows what's happening, but would you say like in general, typically like statistically, most people are like generally less fertile in that, like that fourth quadrant or like the, the third, like after the six o'clock, like kind of between like the six and the nine, like, is that kind of when folks are a little bit less fertile typically on like a yeah. well, mm-hmm. between nine and 12, between nine and 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah when you feel like shit <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Like, please don't touch me like yeah that's so interesting um yeah and I I really appreciate how you're bringing in like mood and mental health and just kind of like what might be um like other ways to notice these cycles in ourselves um is yeah I mean there's just this it seems like there's a lot of benefits to doing this kind of tracking not just like fertility tracking but also like how do you know, like you're mentioning like how do I build my schedule like how do I honor what's really happening for me and like one of the things that I'm really appreciating about the pandemic you know with all of its with all of its struggle um is that I'm seeing more people in my community kind of get more in touch with what's happening for them like kind of on like an individual micro level like what what do we really need like what how do we really feel like and kind of building that that intimacy with ourselves and our own like internal landscapes and how that can really change the trajectory of our lives so yeah I'm curious yeah I think I'm sorry go ahead well, people who can now work from home, I think, like you said, are able to track stuff more and you can adjust like what you need to eat or how much rest you need to get because it's all connected. You know, oftentimes like in a clinical setting, a client will say, oh yeah, like I have this thing. And then I have this other thing that's like completely not related. And it always is <laughs> because we're just like 
one body and everything is connected. And, you know, a big part of what my um, training is from the Blue Otter School with Karen Sanders and Sarah Holmes is about how our emotional bodies and our physical bodies inform each other. And they're so much, they're so interconnected and, and related. And that's a way that you know, dominant culture and like the Western mindset has really separated it. And like more and more people are remembering that they are the same thing. So yeah, of course, like how you feel and how you're interacting with people, it's, it's informed by your energy and your physical body is informed by that and vice versa right like you're treating somebody like a certain way because you're like really high on progesterone (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah I think I got a lot of I think if if I was gonna guess which one I was I think I'm probably more progesterone dominant these days um but yeah that that makes me kind of think about vitex and kind of like bringing it back around to this herb which i was reading in our you know one of our texts the medical herbalism by david hoffman um good old little david um (laughs) about how uh vitex is an amphoteric and then like the the word like ampho kind of being related or the root of that being related to both um the way he talks about it is partly one and partly the other which I think is really cool about some plants where they can act on the body and David says like the pituitary um cascade and oh yeah I'm on page 595 if you want to to read along to ask yeah um And, um, I just love that, you know, that here's this being that can do both. Like it can like regulate, upregulate estrogen. If you need that, it can downregulate it. It can upregulate progesterone. If you need that, it can downregulate. And it's, it's working kind of in a both and way. Um, and at the same time for me, at least I experienced that plant as also having this like very protective, like dragony. I actually think about it as like very fierce auntie who's like going to lay down the law, like about how things are going to be like, in a good way, you know, like in a protective way. Um, so I just, I think it's interesting that this, this plant can kind of hold all of those complexities. And I'm curious about your experience with it. So the first time I really worked with Vitex as a practitioner was when I was working at an herb shop and there was two groups of people that would come in and quite commonly, you know, like one of the coolest things about working at an herb shop is you really have your finger on the pulse of the city and in fall, winter, you you could probably predict better than, I don't know, I I shouldn't say better than a public health scientist, but like, you know, you could create your own graph of like what strains of the common cold are like in flux in a city because like every winter right every like first two weeks of December like people come in with the same exact issue like multiple times in a day Mm -hmm. and it's really cool because 
of how much just quick practice of, of the herbs we get to do. So a lot of people were coming in who were young, like uh, people who were just going through puberty or even maybe like in their early twenties and they're just not on a cycle. They're like, I just struggling with this. I don't really know. It's never really been regular. And I get, have a lot of PMS issues and cramps. And so that group of people, we would usually recommend Bitex and a nutritive tea, usually one with raspberry leaf. And then similarly, people who were in menopause and change of life and having symptoms and a lot of like vaginal dryness. Um, yeah, just unpredictable bleeding, um, uh, a lot of hot flashes and menopause. I haven't gone through it yet. <laughs> I feel like funny speaking about it because I've, I've not experienced change of life, but I got to hear all these different stories from people in it. And Karen Sanders always teaches that menopause is one of the few things that you really want to treat symptomatically because it's so personalized and it's not really like a constitutional thing. It's more of like a flare within the constitution. I don't really know. I couldn't, I couldn't explain it the way that she does, but um, yeah, we would give Vitex to, to people in change of life as well. And both groups of people would come back and they would say like this, this really helped. Thank you. You know, somebody who's tried a lot of different things and not, not a hundred percent, not across the board, like every single time, um, in particular change of life can be really tricky to, to suss out. Um, and like I said before, the nervous system and stress, those chemical messengers really influence the way that the endocrine hormones are affected as well and, and, um, expressing themselves. So it can be hard to track if you're having like episodes or, or times of stress. And so that, yeah, that was really like the first time I got to see Vitex in action was just helping people who are in these big transitions of life shift. And I think about like the triple goddess, you know, the maiden mother crone symbolism and the phases of the moon and um, the way the moon is connected to the cycle and I just, I think helps. And then I think of the ocean and the ebbs and flows, right? And it just helps to just like soothe it all out and give ourselves like rhythm. I think about, um, you know, my students. And when I first started teaching, I was teaching preschool and like the wisdom that I learned from working with really young people um, proves true to working with teenagers, <laughs> which is like, humans love rhythm. Hmm. They love, um, they love cycles. They love routine. And that's really like calming to our nervous system. We know what to expect, especially people who have experienced trauma. And so, yeah, just thinking about the way that all these things are connected and not in a like instant gratification sort of way, but in like the long game mm -hmm. and the way that our hormones 
unlike the nervous system, right? If you touch a hot stove, your nervous system is like, move your hand right now. But hormones take weeks and months to develop and they take this like really slow, gentle approach. And so that's how I see Vitex is like really smoothing out the edges and helping us like, like have the ebbs and flows in this like more um, soothing, manageable way. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love thinking about it that way. And what's coming to me right now is how like another name for Vitex is chaste berry or like monk's berries. One of the ways this planet was used historically was to like kind of down regulate apparently like monks sexual urges, which who knows how true that is. And like, they're probably, you know, all still, you know, getting pleasure somehow. I don't know, but just <laughs> thinking about how to like testosterone is a derivative of estrogen, which I like love knowing. Um, and how, yeah, like this plant can kind of help smooth the edges of, of all of that, I think is a really lovely way to kind of, to put that, um, into perspective. And yeah, that's like, you know, I don't know anybody who's not super stressed right now. So I imagine like <laughs> a lot of people, you know, could use some, some endocrine support love. Um, cause yeah, all the art, when we're stressed, um, a lot of our hormones kind of get, um, moved into the like stress emergency zone system rather than the like chilled out, like sexy time, like hormonal rhythms. So yeah, I love how we're talking about like taking care of our rhythms and also like the nervous system too, and how like those can be so closely related. It's important to note too, that with Vitex, you really need to take it for a minimum of three months because that's how long it takes to really get into that flow and the cycle. And so if folks are trying it and they take it for like a couple of weeks or even just one month, that it's not going to have the same results. And I've seen that also in my private practice that people taking it for a few months um, just, yeah, like not in change of life or in puberty, but just like a person who bleeds wanting to regulate cycles can like have a really great impact from using the plant long-term. Totally. Yeah. At least I feel like at least a season. Um, and I love what you said too, about, um, humans loving rhythms and cycles and like how that is connected to the moon. Um, memory that I'm having is when we were camping in the bell tent, when I was, doing herb school or just like different times when I was like mostly outside and like seeing the moon every night, I would like bleed on the new moon. Like things would shift so that I would be like bleeding on the new moon. Um, which I thought was just like, and then sometimes it would shift again where I was like bleeding on the full moon. I don't know, but, <laughs> but, but just, yeah. Alignment. Yeah. So like, it really did. I like kind of witnessed this like lining up that I didn't really know was like a thing or possible until I, you know, started paying more attention to these cycles. And yeah, that kind of leads me to this next question of like, you know, in this time of there's a lot of like unpredictability and there's a lot of upheaval. There's just, there's a lot of like political shit going down and out here, like in Ohio, you know, we have what's effectively an abortion ban, like banning abortion after six weeks of pregnancy. And that's like feeling really real to people here because it is, <laughs> um, you know, in your opinion, like what do you think folks should learn about our own generative health systems? Like what's, what's good to know? Oof. Yeah. 
that's real, Sam. I mean, <laughs> you know, we're I'm out in California and um yeah, it's just a different, it's a different landscape. You know, I think my heart goes out to people who are in places where abortion is less and less legal every day. And um I think and and yeah, it just puts a different layer on what this information can do for us. Um, when, yeah, you don't have that choice to go to a clinic for an abortion. I think like even starting with the, with the tea that I made for, for my lungs. Right. I think so much about herbalism for me is like the empowerment piece of what we know and what we have access to with our relationship to plants is a life-changing experience if we want it. And that liber liberation that we feel when we could either pay like relatively not that much for our medicine, right? Like you could make a tea for a month under $10 and, or you can grow your medicine for free. You can, um, you know, under $5 buy seeds and water, your your medicine or or have like the the earth water it for you um for a year um or maybe it's a you know a patch of something that you're able to tend to and cultivate and support and have a re re reciprocal relationship with and um you know this idea that like herbs and plants like they don't have to be bought and sold to be effective is something that is um you know something that motivates me uh, to keep learning about herbs and keep teaching about herbs. And I think going to this like hormonal cycle is like, yeah, knowing, knowing what's going on in our body, knowing what we can do to be self-aware, to show up in our community, to take care of ourselves is all part of being a healthy person. And whether that means it changes like the type of sex you're going to have or the way you're going to have sex or safer sex, or even just like what you need to pack for lunch or what you're going to stack onto your schedule, or if you need to have a day of rest or um, whatever it is that you can help yourself predict. Uh, I think more information is certainly more helpful <laughs> and empowering. Totally. Yeah. I have been trying to practice taking off work the first two days that I bleed because I cramp really bad, which is something I'm working on with my herbalist, which feels great to have that support. Because sometimes when you're the herbalist and you're like, I don't know, it's really hard. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like leaning into that self-knowledge and that self-wisdom, like is, is definitely a goal of mine as I learn more about like, what do I consent to? Like, what kind of life do I want to build for myself? And like, what, what is more or less predictable in, you know, in a world that may not be, and like, what kind of structure do I want to build for myself and my family and like my community based off of like, what's actually working in an alignment rather than you know, grinding my gears, trying to get to work when I'm feeling like shit or like whatever, you know? Yeah. And I think that especially with hormonal stuff, 
people have this sense of like, well, that's just my body. That's just how it is. That's just who I am. Like my mom had that or whoever in my family had that. And um, it's true that we do inherit a lot of stuff from our family, our, you know, families of origin or like biological families. Um, so something like knowing when somebody's gone through change of life can be really helpful, like a parent or a grandparent or even like a parent sibling getting that information when those people are alive. Um, you know, we, we all know that like hormones have influenced the ways that our bodies across our culture, dominant culture have, you know, we get our periods a lot younger because of the way that we interact with like commercial, commercial hormones and, and stress and all sorts of reasons. Um, so that's something that shifts, but, and I, want to just acknowledge that things in the hormonal system, they just take longer to work out. Right. And there's kind of this general rule of thumb that for however long you've had an issue that you would want to take about half the amount of time to work with it. So if you've had cramps and whatever PMS symptoms for, you know, 10, 20 years, like you're going to need to give yourself five to 10 years to work it out. <laughs> and if it's something that showed up two months ago, then you maybe just need to take a few weeks or a month to, to help get yourself back on track. Um, and that there's more complex things, right? There's all sorts of repro conditions, um, fibroids, cysts, endometriosis, just to name a few that are very real and, uh, you know, we just can't have like big blanket statements or advice on this type of a platform. And that if something is, you know, of concern, if you have um, spotting in the middle of your cycle, if you have like, yeah, like pretty extreme symptoms that, you know, maybe getting um, some testing done or working with somebody who can have more of like an internal um view of the body and using that information in an effective way. Not that you have to follow a doctor's directions or use pharmaceuticals if you don't want to. And they are there if you want to. And, you know, if people choose that, you know, surgery is the best choice for them, that is okay too. You know, that like, there's no right or wrong answer, but I think just going back to your question of like, why do we want this? And what's this information helpful for? It's just the yeah, empowerment piece and being able to make those choices for ourselves. Totally. And yeah, thanks for bringing in the, the realness and the complexity of like how many different things can be happening and, and the length of time that it can take to see some change, especially like, you know, these are our generative systems. Sometimes they have like generational wounding and trauma and resiliency, like all mixed up in that. And um, yeah, I see that a lot in like looking at fibroids and how that can um, be really, really linked to these like um, like the knottedness of tissue can be connected to the knottedness of like the lineages wounding. So I, yeah, I just really want to honor like how powerful it can be to work with a practitioner who like is really knowledgeable about herbs. And also like you're saying, um, like using like allopathic diagnostics, if that's what's needed. And that's, that's tends to be how I kind of work with stuff for myself personally is like, if there's something happening that I don't like understand, and it would be really helpful to get some imaging done or 
like to get some testing or some panels done, then I can like learn from that information. I don't necessarily take their advice because I have fibroids. I was like, what is happening for me? I went and I got imaging and they're like, here's this one fibroid sitting right on top of your uterus. And I was like, hello, ancestral trauma. <laughs> um, and then they were like, we suggest like a uh, conscious, like, or, or they were like, take birth control pills. And I was like, no, no, thank you. Cause for me, that was really, um, took me way out of my own cycles. Like it was very numbing. Um, I don't remember what I was on. I was on birth control, like uh, hormonal birth control for like something like 10 years. And it really, in addition to kind of taking me out of relationship with these like cycles of kind of these like ups and downs of my kind of like, I want to say normal, but normal for me, like hormonal rhythms. It also removed me from like being really in connection with like my own sense of like pleasure and desire. And that was like really confusing for me for a really long time. So I was like, I don't know what I like. Like, I think I'm straight, I guess, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. Um, and just, yeah, wanting again to shout out this plant as um, Vitex is being helpful for helping folks kind of come back into their own rhythms after they've come off of hormonal birth control is another way to kind of like, and again, like you're saying, like it can take a lot of time to kind of come back into rhythm and that can be a whole process. And again, it's really such a blessing to work with a practitioner to help kind of guide you along the way because there's other plants that can do other supportive things there's you know other pathways to explore and just having someone kind of hold your hand while exploring all of that is um it's really really helpful <laughs> yeah yeah and you can always get your doctor and your herbalist to talk if you consent to that and then your herbalist can like use those or you can just get your files and like give them to your herbalist and your herbalist can you know, if, if you have a good herbalist, you can read that stuff and then you can talk about options. Yeah, I know dude. this might not be something to talk about on the podcast, but can I ask why you were put on, um, hormones, hormonal birth control for 10 years? Yeah. I mean, cause if you have sex, you will get pregnant and okay. <laughs> <laughs> circle. <laughs> right. I went I on forgot. it. Right. I like, yeah, I started, um, having sex where I could get pregnant pretty young. I was like 14, 15 yeah. and I, which like, wasn't great for me personally at the time. It was a really challenging situation. Um, but I knew I wanted to be safe. And so it was kind of like a struggle to like get consent from my like parents to be put on hormonal birth control, but, um, ultimately they like supported it. And then I was on it from like, yeah, like 15 to like 25. And at wow. that point I was like, I hate this. Um, and it just, yeah, I don't remember exactly what it was that made me decide to stop taking it. Um, but I just remember being like, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. And I want to like know what my body is like. And I, I want to feel, feel my feelings. Like I want to feel desire. And, um, for me, like the stuff that I was on was really blocking of that. And I also was like, this is like, I don't want to have to do this. Like I want other people with the sperm to do something. <laughs> like, I don't want to have to like have this impact on my body for so long. So Yeah. yeah. I ask in part because I know that so many young people are put on birth control for uh, acne. Right. And I feel like that's a really common story where you're like, yeah, I got some acne. And so they put me on birth control and, and then a lot of people are on it for, for years and years. And, you know, 
I don't want to get on the whole birth control situation right now, but it's just like, what? That's, that's a thing. That's what happens. Totally. And I think that was part of the discussion. They were like, yeah, like, let's just mostly talk about how it'll be better, like to prevent acne. And I was like, okay. (laughs) That was something that I leslie never really struggled with, but they were just like, it's good for your skin. I was like, whatever guys. Um, but yeah, did not get pregnant, but, and that's, that's a good thing, but it, yeah, like looking at the options of contraception that are out there in the allopathic realm and just like over and over again, I kind of come to this, like, ah, oh, there's like really not a good option for like, yeah, all these things have, have really some potentially like, yeah, troubling side effects. <laughs> um, yeah. And since we're on the topic, I want to mention that, um, a choice that I made maybe like eight years ago, nine years ago, something was I wanted to try getting an IUD. And so I got a copper IUD and it was honestly, um, just to see what it would be like. <laughs> science. It's for so science. <laughs> it was just like, I wonder what that's like. Um, and I don't know if it, I, I'm pretty sure it was that. And I think it, it could have to do with um, just being somebody who was getting older, you know, kind of shifting, shifting my, my, my body, you know, our bodies change over time. And I think that the copper AED had a big impact because originally it was like really intense periods. And um, when I eventually got it out, I think about a year or so later, then I, my, my periods changed. Hmm. So the, the cycle used to be more, the heaviest day was the first day and they were be about five days long. And then now the heaviest day is like day two and three, and they will then kind of drag out for like seven days. Hmm. And yeah, I just wanted to mention that because we're talking about not great birth control methods and options. And then just also normalizing that like our bodies change also like our our periods are all really different and totally. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's totally the case that things can totally shift our cycles at different times in our lives. So thanks for bringing that in and naming that (laughs) reminds me that, you know, you were talking about how like checking in with the family members that are still around who could like kind of give you hints about what things and changes might be like for you. My mom was always like, you know, after I had a baby, like I stopped having cramps and she'll like, look at me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, mom. (laughs) This is a different conversation than we were having like 15 years ago or whatever. But Yeah. Anyways, um, how can folks learn more about you and your work? Um, where can where can we point folks to go who might like want to work with you or just learn about more of your offerings? Um, most easily at my website, which is bonnierosweaver.com. And there's some info about my practice there. And also you can get in touch and write me an email. Of course, I'm on the meta machine and um yeah you can reach out if you're curious about what we talked about I do want to mention Sam before we go I just feel like it's a dishonor to the plant to not talk about how to grow it and Mm. like what it is like um Vitex is a small tree or a large shrub and it has a really unique 
leaf that looks a lot like a cannabis leaf. It has like the five to seven little leaflets coming off of it in that kind of like palm shape. And it makes a little berry, right? It makes flowers that turn into a berry if they get enough heat. I've grown them. I've grown Vitex in San Francisco, but we really can't get it to go to berry because it's not hot enough. So I'm sure that it would do better in the East Bay. Um, and I've seen it growing when I was working in Southern Oregon. I saw it there to go to berry. And so, yeah, we use the berry part of the plant. And of course, any berry, especially it's a little bit hard, needs to be processed a little bit more. So um, if you're making a tea with it, you would want to decoct it. So bringing it to a boil and letting it simmer for a bit. And of course, um, that's way too much work for a 21st century urbanite. So most people use tincture and um, yeah, taking it, you know, probably two to three times a day, five to 10 drops is what I would recommend for at least three months and then assess if the symptoms have shifted or, you know, what about the cycle has shifted after like three, four months and maybe continue it, you know, um, sometimes with the herbs, they can help us get back on track. And I would say if somebody wanted to work with Vitex for a year, that might also be really nice to just have that consistency. And like you said, it's like that auntie vibe. Like I, when you said that, I thought of like how people call their period, like aunt flow, you know, like figure and people have such different relationships with their period and the way that our culture doesn't allow us to like really rest and honor it um so yeah you know also I love working with plants on a spirit level so just meditating with one drop um if there's maybe like more spiritual or emotional issues like you mentioned like generational trauma and relation to the repro you know that could be something to help get through that emotional level because we want to take emotional doses for emo energetic doses for an energetic issue um yeah so vitex it's got a fun smell too it's kind of um it's not super sweet it's kind of like um it's complex yeah i get <laughs> like big floral energy from it from the berries themselves and that's part of why I really like the Oximal, which is um, apple cider vinegar and honey instead of alcohol. Cause it, you know, it is a pungent herb on its own and um, in alcohol, the, that bitterness can really come through, which is good and needed in our culture. And the Oximal, like, I feel like really, you kind of just get like the floral part of it. And I'm just like, this is delightful. Like, I didn't know Vitex could be so delightful. It doesn't have to hit me in the face and then be delightful. It can just be delightful. It's also coming to me now how the berry is like that full womb mm. energy, right? Like it's the the thing that carries the seed and the how, yeah, the whole like triple goddess thing too of like flower, berry, seed is like in there too. So just like tapping into that plant wisdom. Yeah, totally. I love that. And yeah, how the seeds can hold all the possibilities of, of all of that too. So, so beautiful. 
Well, thank you for that. That was important to include. <laughs> and yeah, anything else that, that comes to mind that you want to mention? Maybe if you were a Vitex Berry, what message might you have for us or, or not? <laughs> um, well, I think that the message from the Vitex Berry is the long game. Mm. I think it's about letting ourselves take the time to shift and not having to shift in an instant the way that we're often asked to do in the, you know, the busyness of the modern day. And it's like deep, it's like deep shifts within ourselves. Um, I think I touched on this a bit at the beginning and I guess I'll just mention like most of my time right now is teaching 140 high schoolers about herbalism and health. So that's like where I am mostly. And I think the connection to puberty and all that is interesting to think about. Like I'm kind of like on the ground with that at the moment. Um, but yeah, that's been a new shift in my life. So maybe Vitex could help me with those, with that long game shift. <laughs> totally. I don't know. Yeah. No, yeah. thank you. I think that's like really important wisdom for right now. And what that makes me think of is ah, just in this time when we're making shifts and like laying the foundation for the changes that we want to see both in our lives and in our cultures, like these, it takes a lot of time to build and it's like, it really is helpful to have some, you know, good ideas about what our intentions are for what we want to build and how these shifts and, and these changes really are a long game. Like thinking about how, like, I, you know, am applying for nursing school and like getting, which just feels insane. <laughs> like thinking about like, what foundation do I want to build for these times that I don't know what's going to happen? And like, what do I physically want to build in, in this part of my life and, and the years to come? And like, sometimes I feel overwhelmed with how long that will all take. Um, but I love like having this plant elder show up and be like, it, it do take time. You know, it, it really does take time to make big shifts, especially when it's been like this for some time, but incrementally like drop by drop, like decision by decision, you know, we, we can set ourselves on a new trajectory. That makes me think of a flower essence that I think is worth mentioning too, which is blackberry. Hmm. And it's an experience that I had when I was first getting into like urban ag and noticing the blackberry plants around town and how, you know, it's this, and, and it makes me think of Vitex because Vitex is the berry, um, where it's this idea of like, it takes the whole season, right. To go from flower to fruit. And even in it, and it's just that like the moon cycle, right. It's like, you call a quarter moon when it's half in the sky because part of the cycle is when you cannot see it. You don't even know that the moon is there. It's completely dark out. And that like the blackberry has to go down deep in the roots to pull up the nutrients, to make a leaf, to photosynthesize, to make a flower, to procreate, to make a seed, to get pollinated, to make the berry, you know, and that it's just this like 
never ending cycle of like, where does it start and where does it begin? But when you're in spring, that energy of like more light and more, you know, energy and nutrients available, that's what it takes to be like, okay, what is it that I want? But you're not going to get it until the fall. And we see that time and time again in the natural world in particular with like fruiting plants and the plants that we eat. But um, yeah, just what you were saying reminded me of that relationship I have with that flower essence. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that in. That's a good reminder and makes me think about how sometimes like the spring is hard for me for that reason, where it's like, oh, I, I now I'm aware of my desire about the way things I, I want them to be. And now I have to wait and like be with this longing and that can be so hard <laughs> and work on it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like the get to work time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's where seasonal, I think, you know, I'm a big advocate of like seasonal wellness, seasonal health of like, what is it that we do in the fall that gets us ready for like the deep rest of winter that then helps us, you know, break through in the spring and then put, get to work in the, the spring and summer. Totally. Well, thanks for planting some good seeds now for the fall time in the winter. May they percolate and grow into useful and generative and beautiful things. And thank you so much for coming on and and hanging out and chatting with me. I just, yeah, I am so grateful for all of your wisdom and learning and like the generosity that you share it with. And your students are very, very lucky to have you. Thank you, Sam. I love you so much. I love you too. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You've been listening to The Herb at the End of the World, a podcast created by me, Samwise Raritan, community herbalist, teacher, and organizer of the Self-Heal Herbs Mobile Free Clinic. All my offerings are freely offered and community supported. It's important to me that all my work in the free clinic and all the content I create through the podcast will always be offered without a cost barrier. If you feel nourished and inspired by these projects and want to support more people getting connected to healing and learning, please consider being a supporter on Patreon by searching for Samwise Raritan Community Herbalist. Any level you can give at is immensely appreciated as it supports me in being able to live my most joyous and authentic gift to this world. I am so grateful and so in awe of the patrons who are prioritizing imagining a new and vibrant way to care for each other in this life. If you can't give money energy in this wild time, totally understand. (laughs) And another big way you can help out the podcast is to give us a five-star rating review uh, on Apple Podcasts or other places you download your audio. That makes a really big difference in letting more people know about these projects. Thanks for listening and being a part of creating revolutionary dialogue in your own circles. I wish you joy and healing in your journeys and until next time.